0: Just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S C I L L Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support calm. And now on with monkey tennis.
1: Hold up.
3: to get started visit plushcare.com slash
1: weight loss that's plushcare.com slash weight loss
2: it's that time what time high time to say if you've got time to give this time your time then it's time to let this time spend time making your time a good time on this time monkey tennis please please cook your eggs be safe the egg scene. Monkey tennis? Can well, I have a glass of water, please? It falls to me to say he is gone. Monkey tennis? I said I'd find out more. I haven't done that. Pay hey, for dinner, yeah? Monkey tennis? I said, who the hell is that? That's merely a shaved boy in a wig. Monkey tennis? There is broad agreement that John was good. Tommy, join me at the lady. The show that promises to be all things. To all men. And all women. And everything in between. Monkey tennis? There's a subtle cock up there.
0: Hello everyone and welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. I'm Adam Brooks and I'm joined by Tom Dark.
3: Imagine the look on Hugh Edwards' face when he finds out I'm interviewing Princess Anne.
0: Nick Alder. Imagine the look on Lorraine Kelly's face when she finds out I'm
4: interviewing Princess Anne. And Tom Stab. Imagine the look on Noel Edmonds' face when he finds out I'm interviewing Princess Anne. So, welcome to our deep dive
0: into episode 5 of series 2 of This Time with Alan Partridge, as you will have hopefully already seen on BBC One or iPlayer, or on a pirate site if you're living in one of the many countries around the world that enjoy the cream of our discharge. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes, imagine kicking off your shoes, digging into a box set of monkey tennis episodes with that dry cake you like, and then times it by 10. How do you feel? Um, before we get into the meat of episode 5, uh, I think there's a few things that have cropped up over the last few weeks in the APU that we should address. uh, Who's got the first of those things?
3: I think I can open this with uh, something that we didn't spot a couple of weeks ago and I'm pretty ashamed that we all missed it but uh, I guess that's the nature of us trying to get these episodes out quickly. Um, So the episode where Alan talks through his new kind of kitchen utensils draw system and there's an animation of a house, that house is located at 10 King Road. An absolutely brilliant Easter egg for uh, long-time Partridge fans there. Amazing. Um, thanks to all the people that messaged us about that. And it's many, and the messages are coming in every day. <laughs> so I thought we should definitely address that now. Yes, we know. Sorry you missed it, but it's a brilliant
0: <laughs> joke, and we've really enjoyed and it. And crucially, please
4: stop contacting us about it. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we've got the message. Also, uh, it's probably a bit remiss of us to uh, not have spoken about the opening credits yet. So uh, should we do a little mm. dissect of those? Absolutely. Uh, so what's changed? Crucially, what's changed? For what?
3: So as far as I can tell, I think all of Jenny's sequences remain intact, but I think all of Alan's sequences are now different.
0: And, am I right um, in thinking that there are now more sequences with both of them in the same shot as well, which I don't think they had in series one?
3: Oh uh, yeah, well, there, there's a whole kind of the the sequence towards the end when they're entering TV centre or sorry broadcasting house. Yeah, that um that is new and different.
0: So yeah, the scene of uh, Alan and Jenny entering the BBC means that tragically we've lost the best character from these opening credits, which is the receptionist who used to roll <laughs> her eyes at Alan in Series One when he did a little point with his driving gloves. It's nice to see that we've got some wider uh, APU nods. Um, we see the Oast House, which I thought was interesting because obviously that's, you know, technically a, is it an Amazon property, you know, sort of multiple stakeholders <laughs> yeah. uh, having different kind I of... I don't think they own the building, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was nice to see kind of wider uh, APU icons uh, in, in the opening credits.
3: I, I spotted two interesting things about the Oast House shot. Um, you will have to pause to get this, but... Um, from what I can see, and I don't know the technical word for this, but you know, there's like the kind of the pointed top of the oast house, and there's like a kind of a spout on top. Mm-hmm. One, you see that swing round, which I just thought was quite weird, and two, because that movement caught my eye, there's a bird on it, so I thought that must be Morris. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, <Sure>. Morris. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, if you if you again if you pause it on uh, on the oast house, if you look very closely in the top right hand corner, you can see a figure in the window. So as we now know. That is Rosa. And uh, I guess um, we obviously in the first series had the um, Denton Abbey. There you go, my mind went blank for a second there. Um, the mysterious figure in the window there that um, I think we can finally attribute that that is Rosa as well. And Alan's cleaner has gone from Denton Abbey to the Oast House. Gokumpa. <laughs> um, yeah I,
3: I think it's safe to confirm that as rosa and you've
4: um, also obviously got that repeated
0: shot of him dancing with the uh, caribbean lady uh which we've previously seen is it in the credits yes. of welcome
3: to the places of my life it's in welcome to the Places of my life and i think it was in the end credits of scissor dial and it's just a, a really great <laughs> thing where they've always randomly inserted it when the original footage that it's from is never featured in anything and obviously that's the joke and it's a brilliant running gag that You know, again, like it's a great Easter egg gag for long-term fans of Alan.
0: Perhaps it's also a case of that thing you were talking about on a previous episode of of sort of trying to display your diversity. He's clearly shot one segment a long time ago with a a, a woman of Caribbean origin, and is now milking that diversity for all it's worth by putting it in the credits of every show since.
4: If um, if we ever if we ever get the opportunity to speak to uh, Steve or the Gibbons, I'm going to ask when was that shot because. If you look at his hair, I, I, I think you can place Alan era's judge by, judging by his <laughs> hair. It's relatively short. It looks almost sort of. It, obviously, I don't think it's quite far back as um, I'm Alan Partridge series two, but it's it's not as long as it was in Alpha Papa, and it's not as long as it is now. So, it, Tom, I think I think the easy answer is I'm pretty sure that was shot as part of Welcome to the Place of My Life because oh, that think? is the first time it's right. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, but I wonder yeah. if what what the wider context of that was because it's obviously filmed for a wider piece, and obviously it never well, made it Well, uh,
3: I wonder, though, if, if it wasn't, and it's very much the joke is that there is no more context
4: I and mean, it will yeah, keep on popping uh, up. That would be, I mean, uh, that would be something to ask, now. ask the Gibbons or, or Steve at some point in the future if we get the opportunity. Um, and also, of course, you have the Waka Waka added. from yes. First week there was no Waka Waka, and then obviously Alan talks about they've added a Waka Waka, from episode two onwards, Whacka whacker They've come for the theme tune, but he did not speak out
0: because he was not a theme tune.
3: A <laughs> <laughs> uh, couple of other quick points on this: um, he's eating like a. Ah, oh, is he just like having a a, a British a breakfast, breakfast, like a fryer, a, a, yeah. yeah, british He's eating it incredibly awkwardly, like almost missing his mouth. That's quite weird. <laughs> uh, and also the way he's like um, doing his key fob when he's coming out of the Oast House, is also really awkward. Like he's trying to run and look a bit athletic or something. Um, oh, and somebody did get in touch thinking, the shot when Jenny and Alan walk into Broadcasting House, there are some people on the screen like holding up their fingers. And somebody thought it was basically somebody giving a middle finger to Alan and Jenny. But... Uh, having paused it i don't think it is that i think it's you have to forgive me for not knowing the detail but i think in some countries you get like the tip of your finger inked when you voted and i think that's what it is it's people showing they voted oh Oh, okay
0: um so anything else from the apu before we get into this week's episode proper
3: I just want to repeat, we know that the house was 10 King Road.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I like the idea that, you know, 20 odd years later, Alan can't think of another fictitious address. Like, that's the first one that comes to mind. Mm, Yeah. Um, So into the episode, uh, the first thing I noticed straight off the bat with the cold open with Lynn is that Alan's swimming must have improved significantly since the last time we saw him sort of floundering while trying to interview people. (laughs) Because he's diving off the top board these days. uh, And when asked why, because he can, Lynn, because he can. (laughs) <laughs> uh, so, I think his swimmings really come along, but that said it hasn 't come along so much that he can avoid getting water lodged in his ear, which is now a very dangerous problem that he 's about to take on air with him.
4: The thing that I quite like about this sort of interaction between Alan and Lynn at the beginning is lynn 's cutting sort of quite a frustrated and annoyed figure here. her tone is very like much of a exasperated mother rather than a personal assistant, and I just it 's just another mm. little slight shift in the dynamic between the two of them you wouldn't have had this you wouldn't have had this kind of frustrated exasperated uh lynn in i'm alan partridge series one or two it's just another nice little development of the character and the relationship between the two i think
3: i think the bit i really liked about this opening sequence was um the in the interaction between them at the beginning when Alan says, your eyes go to the left, that's why the man sits there, it's higher status, it's the one thing the hashtag MeToo Brigade haven't cottoned onto yet. I thought that was quite a nice bit of script, kind of mocking, uh, I guess, kind of me- established media conventions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and to Tom Stabb's point about, about Lynn's development as well, I think Alan described her in this time series one as being the sort of person that kind of grinds on you over time, that eventually (laughs) you know sort of will gradually push you out. And it's almost like that's the relationship here is that she now can be quite sort of caustic to Alan. You know, like she she almost it's almost like she's watching their joint fortunes all tied up in Alan, kind of falling by the wayside because she can't get him to do the right thing, Mm. and so she's getting more and more frustrated and more and more forthright with him. Um, And then I mean they almost kind of come to blows. I think this is the biggest bust up we've seen of theirs since alpha papa um where she starts to, she I, I, she's kind of looks very sort of mean spirited to begin with um and she obviously describes him as barely a summer chicken, let alone a spring chicken because of his whittle, he <laughs> mishears this and thinks that she's just called him a summer chicken and that that is a legitimate insult on its own with no context which I enjoyed but then he gets quite mean he's like at least I'm not yeah. a winter hen who's no longer laying uh, and then he's like I take that back I think you would have had a very interesting take on motherhood to which she <laughs> then says I'd like to
3: know more about that
0: Yeah. to which she then says you've had bad breath for five years and he says yes and it's your job to keep on top of that um, yeah. I, I mean on the motherhood Lynn thing Uh, Obviously, yes, I think she would have had a very interesting take on motherhood. But do we think that if effectively the reason she hasn't settled down and had kids is primarily down to her dedication to Alan? You know, like Christ. Yeah, and Christ. (laughs) I imagine imagine there's a a situation where she perhaps arranges a date and then has to cancel because Alan needs her to go and run errands for him or pick him up or something. Um, Adam,
3: she's not even allowed Saturdays off. Don't forget. She's got no time for dating. She has to be back by 4pm, though. (laughs) yeah so not even a whole day off yeah on the weekend so i
0: I think yeah i think that i think i think it's it's kind of at least partly down to alan that she's never had the opportunity to have children yeah and whilst i don't think they would have been looking to have children did we ever get resolution on gordon from i'm alan partridge series two i don't think we ever really knew what happened there did he
3: die there's a reference in alpha papa about him him having a heart attack i'm sure Oh yeah, and, okay. and
4: and I think Felicity Montague in one of the um, uh, I'm Alan Partridge uh, directors commentaries or DVD commentaries says that <laughs> Lynn's organs have dried up, so yeah. I don't even think she <laughs> I yeah. don't even think she could conceive if she wanted to
0: at this point, aren't I, Lynn? I mean, my memories of Gordon, he's certainly a man who it looks like he would know his way around high blood pressure, so I'm not surprised <laughs> that that's how, how that ended. Yeah, he's, he's an isn't the thing
3: in Alpha Papa about um about panicking looking through the letterbox because oh, there, there's something in the script about that which i'm sure was reference to gordon dying from a heart attack or something okay i'm sure somebody so, will, email will, will write tell it us what in it is, and yeah.
0: tell us about 10 king road and about yeah. gordon
3: dying yeah <laughs> um
0: so there's a nice bit of, uh, of of script here and i guess it goes back to what susanna fielding was saying in the interview we referenced recently about there being a musicality to the script if this had been even a split second different, it wouldn't have been as funny. And they've obviously engineered it perfectly. The bits where Alan is kind of, knows what he's supposed to say, but can't really hear what Jenny said, is sort of tripping over her lines, killing her punchlines, things like that. Um, I thought it was really well done. The bit where she's like, have we got a show for? And then he's like, certainly do.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Did you, I mean, yeah, I didn't hate it, but I did also think I could see the this joke coming a mile off, that you were going to have that kind of mm. delayed reaction, missing words, talking over each other type stuff. But I think you're right, like the the rhythm of these, these bits of script are always so well executed, you can't really hate on it.
0: Um, I don't know if it's just because I know that it's a project that Steve worked on shortly before this, but I also see a lot of Stan and Laurel in some of the... Um, uh, some of the kind of, so Stan and Ollie in some of the sequences in this series uh, in terms of the kind of like... There's a sort of like a bit of a kind of end-of-the-peer vaudeville-like uh, playfulness to the way that the kind of... The sort of turns of phrase and the slapstick approach and that sort of thing. So it does feel like he's kind of... He's lifted some some inspiration from some of his other stuff that he's been doing recently.
1: Mm.
0: Um, they also tease the fact that Ellen MacArthur's on tomorrow's show... <laughs> So, which I thought, finally, Alan will get to meet her and give her that pat on the head or the back that he <laughs> promised. And great sailing, ex- kiddo. Yeah, great
3: sailing, kiddo. <laughs> and it explains
0: why he's got the framed photo in his dressing room as well, potentially because you know she's on the way and he is a fan. Mm.
3: I mean, that's it. I think I think we'd be led to assume here that Alan has personally pushed for her to be on the show. He's pushed for that booking to happen. Um, did you spot uh, just after that uh, when he's turning round, he just says, "There's a shoe in the gantry." Mm yeah and that doesn't go anywhere i thought that was going to be a, a bit like there's a shuttlecock up there there'd be yeah. some kind of payoff at the end but
0: i think there's two things one is one is yeah it's, it's very shuttlecocky. it's the shuttlecock of this series <laughs> also is it just that he's trying to do that thing i'm sure everyone's done when they've had a bit of concealed earwiddle of sort of trying to tilt his head 90 degrees suddenly to kind of shake it loose and that's how he spotted that there's a shoe up there
3: yeah i mean that's that's what's happened but just the fact it doesn't have that the payoff in the script yeah. it doesn't yeah. go anywhere yeah
0: so it's, it, I, think that seems, I think that seems odd that there isn't a payoff because you're right, it is like the shuttlecock thing, and it does seem odd that it doesn't go anywhere.
3: Just the uh, the rich tapestry that is the APU.
0: <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> thankfully, argued oh it's wept, uh, and the ear yeah. is out of his ear and on his shirt. Um, I think Tiff's on the scene at this point, inviting Alan swimming, um, and alluding to being banned from the pool for a petting incident not six months ago. <laughs> there was just something awkward conjuring up the imagery of... I, I don't know how old... Um, uh she's either is in real life or the character is meant to be but it's just something uncomfortable about petting in a pool you know not only is it strictly forbidden uh, along with <laughs> running but i just find something something awkward about people of middle age being you know giving pdas in public swimming pools
3: Yeah, so you, you're you're on board with alan there uh, because he was going to rebuke a couple for petting you'd also be doing the same i,
0: I would i think yeah li- listen mate don't run don't kiss that's just... <laughs> no, no,
3: no horseplay.
0: Yeah, Be, swim safe. Be swim safe. Essentially, <laughs> Nick's, Nick's renowned and very strict. No horseplay. No foreplay rule there. Unless it's so, in a, unless it's in a jacuzzi and the bubbles are on, in which case, you know, hands can wander. No, no,
4: no, I'm just going to study there. Wherever you go, remind about. me to never get in a jacuzzi with you. Jesus. <laughs> um, I do quite like the fact that um, I think what this episode does I- in general. It's kind of moved the narrative on a bit. And I mean, we're we're kind of at episode five, so narrative should be cracking on a bit by this point. But um, certainly with Tiff here, you know, we've asked the question in previous weeks, what's her game? What's going on? Is there a kind of longer plan that she's got in mind? Is there trying to be some kind of, you know, is she trying to entrap him? Is she trying to, you know, actually get with him? We don't quite know. Um, So, back to Alan and Jenny, I think, where it's revealed that Alan is Norwich's
0: car laureate, (laughs) which I absolutely love. Um, The definition of laureate is, I looked it up and it's basically, the word laureate has come to signify eminence or association with literary awards or military glory. It's also used for winners of the Nobel Prize, Gandhi Peace Award and the Student Peace Prize. So, obviously being absolutely bastardized here in the, in the case of of, of Alan being Norwich's car laureate um, and I love the uh, the kind of twist where it's like that the the point of the role is effectively that he's like I encourage people to make a journey wherever possible by car which is obviously the invert whenever you hear anyone use that kind of wherever possible they're trying to get people to stop using cars he's like deliberately doing the reverse seemingly in return for a discount
4: on uh, on, on any car on the forecourt oh no it's, um, a, it's a heavy Vauxhall discount he's got that's it. <laughs>
3: yeah 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 what, what I also liked about this is because obviously this idea about him being the car laureate was introduced in the Oast House podcast series. So I'm enjoying the Gibbons kind of pulling the Oast House world into the this time world. Just just making it feel a, a lot richer, kind of everything that's happening in this time is also happening mm. in the universe of the Oast House. And it's, it's, all, it's all Alan present day is good.
0: Um, so he's about to finally get his own back on Ruth in a way. Um, I did enjoy this I know that that people uh, do feel or certainly people that get in touch with us seem to feel that the Ruth segments are are repetitive and I think they can be but I do think this this week it's a bit of a novel twist on it
4: I I thought it was weak up until a point and then the kind of rug pull reveal kind of makes me forgive what had just gone before it Um, if it had just been a standard Ruth Allen section um, it would have been quite weak but the, the rug pull that it was actually Jenny's notes that Alan was reading um saved it i think and uh, uh, and yeah like adam says it's nice to finally see alan get one on over ruth sort of <laughs> sort of <laughs>
1: yeah
0: <laughs> and i also think that alan will be immensely annoyed that it's grammar that has caught him out because i think he prides himself on good grammar so the fact that ruth has has got him um on on that front i think will be uh frustrating to him to say the least
3: so I was going to say, I'm not actually that convinced the setup of this joke really works if you stop to think about it in much detail. And the good thing is, that's what we're here to do, to discuss <laughs> everything in far too much detail. Because as this is playing out, so you have things like Frida, who's 80, talking about slushing journey times, Sam, who's 90, saying emissions would be lower than stands to reason. I was thinking, OK, there's something funny going on here, like did Alan write these viewer comments, or something just didn't quite gel. So then the way the rug pool works is that Jenny doesn't have Alan's script notes per se, because she's got comments phrased like they're from the viewers. So it wouldn't, I mean, this is maybe focusing it too much on how this have to work in reality, because it wouldn't be as simple as an accidental clipboard switch, like Alan would have to have carried out some kind of script subst- subterfuge to get these comments in as listener comment uh, as viewer yeah, comments
0: that's my understanding is what he's done he's basically yeah. you know they've each got a word doc which has their script notes on it and he's literally gone into hers and put in some comments of his own yeah. as as if they're from listeners because if you listen back to all of the com- all of the, co- the viewer comments they've all got alan's kind of radio patter style yeah, they're, they're all written yeah. in his his cadence so
3: i think that's the thing is i think i was drilling down into this and very much kind of a TV production sort of thing, this just wouldn't happen unless if they're like literally scribbled onto the script in the margins, which also wouldn't really scan. But ultimately, either way, it is an Alan victory and a Ruth defeat. So I'm happy with it because um, it definitely feels like Ruth and Jenny have kind of ganged up on him a little bit so far this series, particularly in uh, episode three with the kind of like uh, having the, the, the tagging and stuff like that. So it is it is good that he's had a victory. But if you stop and think about the actual logistical reality behind this kind of switcheroo i don't think it actually works
0: um there was a sec before the the kind of rug pull reveal there was a section where i thought "Mm, something odd is going on here not just Mm. because alan was agreeing with all of the ruth's corrections but also because the the whole topic of the segment is one where he probably would know more than ruth like it is you know it is Mm. an area that, that he probably would know more about and so for him to be kind of conceding point after point you could you could tell something was up before it happened yeah, um, I also thought it does show quite a lot of skill for him to pull this off in the middle of a live broadcast. Um, like t- mm. to even to even be able to kind of carry this many ideas in his head at once. <laughs> that he's following a script and he knows he switched the notes and he's got to know the right point to reveal that. And you know, it's. Uh, I think we said in the previous episode there are occasions where he actually is a pretty a, a, a consummate professional. <laughs>
3: i'm not sure you can argue
4: this in being a professional but he has pulled off something quite intricate so it's time for lynn's news so she comes over to the sofa and asks alan what's the best thing that could ever happen to you so i thought "Hmm." question to the group what is the best thing that could ever happen to you who wants to go first uh i can kick off i've actually got several it's for the hair on my head (laughs) to grow back to meet matty healy and to win the lottery pretty good
3: yeah it, it's a decent list <laughs> yeah actually yeah no it's not a decent list two, two out of three um i'm glad you went with more than one nick because i've actually got three as well um Liberties. i mean initially initially i'd have to say um hitting the number one spot on the apple podcast chart again that would probably be the best thing that could happen for all of us getting, away, getting, getting away
0: with that humble brag would be the second thing to happen yeah <laughs> <laughs>
4: He's done Oh, uh, well, you yeah. know, it,
3: it's mad to think it did actually happen. Um, and then I'd also go, similar vibe to Nick, just winning a million pounds. You know, that I'd be quite happy with that. I think that would be a very, very good yeah, thing. Yeah, mine is a Euro the Millions
0: thing. rollover week, though. I, I'm not settling for a million. Fine, you're, you're going big. You're yeah, going big. Yeah, absolutely. okay,
3: yeah. Um, and then the other one that I've listed here, because I took inspiration from Alan wanting to uh, win a race, um, just completing a marathon in less than four hours. <laughs> Lovely. It's Um, it's harder than it sounds. It thankfully, really
0: is. thankfully, I've also got three. Uh, there's a, there's a theme recurring here. Uh, number one, a moderate lottery win. Uh, wouldn't want to become a big head. I was thinking probably be set for life, ten grand a week for thirty years would be absolutely fine. Um, <laughs> secondly, for the pizza cafe in Newton Abbott to add a pizza of my choice to their menu with a title of my choosing. Uh, just a, That's a, a, one of
3: the best things that could just, ever happen. Just a
0: point of personal pride. You've met Adam, right, Tom?
3: <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah. I yeah. t- take it back. I see you well.
0: And finally, yeah. for all the people who like to say things like I tell it like it is I say it to their face to realise that it doesn't mean they're good at honesty it means they're bad at manners Mm. I think you need (laughs) to dare to dream big Adam because wasn't your like dream weekend away to take Bez to the Isles of Scilly or something (laughs) not Bez (laughs) (laughs) who was it it was someone like Bez I can't remember Griff from
3: Super Fairies. (laughs) yeah I think I think what you've done is
0: you've you've mistaken not dreaming big with not choosing to take a woman on holiday with you
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: just because i'm Try not th- using fictitious scenarios to score with like a tv <laughs> a, c- Sophia, a, celeb- ha- a celebrity ha- adam how do you know that sophie ls baxter hasn't taken up my offer to go to hawaii uh because her- how
3: do we know that hasn't happened so many reasons <laughs> you're because- right here
4: so has anyone got alan's answers oh because he's boy, got three do- as
0: well do i uh, for the for the hair to grow back on his legs um <laughs> do we have any indication why it was lost in the first place is that a thing that happens when you get I, old? I think it's a thing. I think Is it's a oh thing. Okay. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I, I think I'm less dense uh, on my legs than uh, <laughs> than, I, than I used to be. I think it's a thing. Well, if not, it's just me and Alan. Uh, I, I know. I, 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 know, I, know some, I know some older men with smooth legs. Now I'm thinking about it. <laughs>
4: um, <laughs> li- listeners, if you're a bit older than us, like maybe in your fifties or sixties, are your legs bald? Get in touch. ThePartridgePod at gmail
3: See, I, I assume the implication was, you know, it's some kind of weird kind of leg care regime gone awry. Like he's, I don't know, shaved his legs for some weird reason or some something like that. He's dipped um, them
0: in Veet and it's never come back.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, that's also, I guess, the joke is we don't know and it's weird. Um, uh, the second thing? To meet Princess
0: Anne. And finally... To win a race, which I love because it tells you two things about Alan. One is that he'd be happy to win any race. And, yep. and two, by definition, that means he's never won a race of any kind in his entire life.
3: <laughs> which I think, I think figures. I think that's in keeping for the character. Yeah. That's good. But yeah, it's like, is it, <laughs> you know, is it a running race? Is it a swimming race? Is it, is it a cycle race? Doesn't matter, just any race. So the big reveal is...
0: Alan is going to meet
3: Princess Anne.
4: Yeah, which I quite like the fact that um, that Lynn says uh, that this will secure your legacy. And um, that's kind of what was alluded in the Q&A that we watched with the, the Gibbons and, mm. and Steve Coogan about how Alan is very aware that, you know, getting to the age that he is and, you know, at the point of the career that he's at, at the point in his career that he's at, sorry, um, he's very aware that he needs to c- cement that legacy or become obsolete. So I think it's quite a nice little nod to what the Gibbons are saying, that they've literally put that in kind of verbatim into the script.
0: To bastardise a line from uh, The Dark Knight, you, you either you either become Wogan or you live long enough to see yourself become <laughs> Eamon Holmes. <Yeah.
3: laughs> that is a great line. Oh, St- sorry, Steve, Rob, Neil, you can have that one. Use that, use that. Um, so I, I thought what was really intriguing about this kind of revelation, so obviously we from Lynn's news, we learned that Alan is going to be interviewing Princess Anne and that Jenny isn't. And I just thought this is clearly, if this is something we're going to get to see play out in the series, which obviously we, we don't know because we certainly don't see it in this episode... This I would only imagine this must be foreshadowing some kind of disaster if we're gonna to get to see this play out. There's no way Alan is gonna <laughs> get to successfully interview Princess Anne, the Princess Royal. That's not gonna happen, no, is it? No,
4: no, way, not a chance. Not oh, a he's lot gonna, of time. Yeah,
0: he's gonna punch her with a turkeyed hand, isn't he? Or something like that.
3: <laughs> At the very least, yeah.
0: And yeah. so he tries to uh tries to explain to Lynn. Exactly how this feels. This is, uh, what'll it feel like? Well, for you, imagine you're lying on your side on the sofa about to watch a box set of Judge John Deeds with lots of that dry cake you like. Now times that by 10, how do you feel? And then to that, I would say Lynn makes the most horrendous noise that I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's so perfectly pitched and so uncomfortable. And it makes Alan feel so uncomfortable because it's like, it's the closest Lynn's ever come to basically making a sexual noise, isn't it? Oh, God. <laughs> Ooh, foo, foo, foo. <laughs>
4: it's horrible <laughs> oh yeah i mean that is kind of i think the queasiest i've ever been watching alan partridge and there's been some quees in the past but this is definitely the queasiest i've ever been
0: um also just only this will secure your legacy line i thought that's um it's quite it's quite lady macbeth and it's also a bit like the bit in series one where he had a quote the omen um yeah yeah sort of, <laughs> yeah it's darklyn it's darklyn again
4: I mean, she is basically Lady Macbeth now, isn't she? Her like, like you say, Adam, like her success and her failure is so entwined with Alan's success and failure that she has to kind of push him. She has to give him tough love, basically. He is kind of like a mother, uh, a, 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 an over what's the word, the pushy mother sort of thing. Like she needs him to be at his best at all times because her well-being and in terms I guess financially and also you know her opportunities are so intrinsically linked to Alan so she does push him a little bit more than she did in the past
0: yeah she's definitely pulling the strings and sort of pointing him in certain directions and, and yeah
4: yeah I'm liking this. Lynn is Lady Macbeth,
3: yeah. Uh,
0: this next uh, this next intro, although Jenny delivers the initial part, it feels like this is an Alan idea, an Alan conceit, that, that she starts the segment by pretending to be angry that women get to fly planes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true, actually. I hadn't really thought of it like that, but now you say it like that, it, it, the way that she delivers that, it, it suggests that it's something that, that he's written. Who knows? Maybe this is an extension of the script swapping that we saw earlier in the in the show.
3: Hmm. Well, I think there's there's something that we, we talked about, um, the kind of in-character interview that Alan did that was published on the British Comedy Guide, where he did talk about basically there's there's no real quality control for the show, so he's able to create his own scripts for the autocue and things like that. So I think they've built that into the APU that he would be able to get away with doing that. But I, I think it's a really good point. I think Jenny wouldn't put something so crass into the script if that was her mm. writing it, would she? Because mm. it, it is a real kind of like handbrake moment in terms of the tone of the show like hearing jenny basically preach outdated views from 1939 but i think it's worth it for alan's line don't worry those aren't jenny's views she's not anne widdicombe i thought that was a lot of fun (laughs)
0: Yeah, um, and also there's a bit where Alan sort of uh, claims that they had to put off equality uh, to deal with fascism first. You can only tackle one concept at yeah. a time, um, and then uh, a nice bit where Jenny sort of ends the segment by saying, "You know, we're, we're now we're going to go hear from these brave band of women who helped us win the war." And Alan can't help but add, although not in combat roles. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Okay, it's time to talk about Alan in a Spitfire. I don't know about you guys, but I was very excited to see this this week. We've known this has been coming. It's been in the credits, all series, Alan in a Spitfire. And yes, yeah, so we could tell about probably just over a week ago from press images that this was going to be the episode where we got to see how this all played out. Uh, what did you guys think? Did this live up to your expectations?
4: Uh- I'm going to start by saying yes and no. Uh, I, would just like, <laughs> I would just like to start with a, a, just a quick note on Alan's outfit. Hmm. Um, he obviously knows he's going to fly, fly a Spitfire. So what has he done? He's gone and find his sort of like most Biggles rides hmm. again or fly <laughs> again jacket. And he's got aviators on. Of course, he's got aviators on. And I reckon he would definitely have just gone and purchased those for the, purpose of the purposes of this VT. I'd actually
3: say it's Biggles meets Top Gun, isn't it? It's a bit of both. Yeah. A bit of both. Yeah, yeah, worlds. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he, he's got he's got leather gloves on, but not the uh, yeah. string back leather driving gloves this time. I feel like as well, Top Gun from
0: the 80s and Alan's sort of choice <laughs> of fashion is is generally 80s based. So it works well. Yeah, I also yeah. thought to your point about, oh, you know, we we knew this was coming. There was a bit of me though that thought, We've seen bits in uh, the intro where we almost haven't seen it referenced, so part of me was like, will we actually get to see it? So it is nice that it's True. kind to of come to fruition.
3: Yeah, th- this, this isn't is- him be- dancing with the lady. Like, yeah. this is the real deal yeah. yeah
4: it would be it would be you know it would be you know the, the bbc would have to have paid quite a bit of money to get alan to go and fly a spitfire and then to not use the footage <laughs> <laughs> <have been>. True, <laughs> be
3: it, the, the absolute trolling from the gibbons brothers like yeah we're going to go and film this and it's going to be two seconds in the intro sequence and never seen again
4: in, in the same way that um, uh, Coogan kind of just quite likes to go around really nice hot countries and eat all the really nice food mm. with his mate Rob Brydon, maybe Coogan rolls into the production meeting and is just like, oh, I fancy flying a Spitfire this series. I, I, Are we going to use the footage? I, I do feel a bit like
0: the production budget of this time, if you strip out talent fees, or should I say Steve's fee, uh,
3: must, <laughs> must be
0: must be relatively small, but I reckon this VT must like have trebled quadrupled. With the production budget of what this time's like entire series one budget must have been.
4: If any of our listeners out there has ever flown a Spitfire or flown in a Spitfire, um, how much did it cost?
3: It's actually, we, we've had a few people over the last few weeks comment on how it's quite interesting. Some of the subject matter of each episode has been quite on the money in terms of kind of what's in the news agenda that week. Which, obviously, like, you know, the, these shows were filmed, like, in November, December last year. It's it's quite bizarre, because even, like, the Spitfire and kind of the the chat we get into later about the kind of, like, the left-wing agenda and stuff. It's quite interesting, because even just like having uh things that i've seen on twitter today like kind of there's a again a bit of another kind of culture war around kind of like the use of of the flag and kind of jingoism and i think there there was like a typhoon like with uh the union jack on it and stuff so alan in a spitfire above the white cliffs of dover and talking about left-wing people and stuff is like again quite on the money for like the conversation in the ether on social media and stuff this week
4: what? Yeah, didn't they? Didn't they re- uh, uh, unveil unveil? Sorry, that that plane with the with the Union Jack painted on it is that? what well, that was, is that a typhoon? That yeah, plane that they announced? I mean,
3: it's actually just one that's like a display thing. That's not like what all oh, typhoons okay. are
4: going to look like because obviously they wouldn't right. have camouflage.
3: But still, like <laughs> you know, <laughs> I wonder who's playing that. Yeah, might exactly. Be. But it, it, again, like I think there's like a new design for like the the what was like the European health card or the global health card, which is again used to just be blue and now is like a Union Jack. So it's like again. Alan, Spitfire, Whitecliffe Sadova, World War II, jingoism, uh, kind of left-wing rebuttal. like it, It's all there. It's all in the mix. And we, we know exactly, like, they know what they're doing with that sort of stuff, I think.
0: What I'm hearing, chaps, is why did we bother winning the war? That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> That's exactly um, it, yes. What, what I would quickly say, I just rifle through some notes here. And um, on costings, um, uh, I took my dad in a Lancaster bomber, um, which uh, just drove around um, an airstrip. So we didn't drove. take off.
3: Uh, oh, right, okay. You yeah, literally yeah, yeah, yeah. Drive, did drive, yeah. You
0: drive it, yeah, just, just, just drove it. Uh, that was £350 PP, uh, the two of us, so that was £700 and we didn't even leave, uh, leave the ground. <laughs>
1: so you've got to
0: think this is going to be quite expensive bear in mind they were doing loop-de-loops on the White Cliffs of Dover
4: (laughs) brilliant Uh, so uh, I do quite like the opening of this VT where um, Alan uh, you know does the old kind of rug pull of who was the person who flew the plane and who was the person who did the the stayed at home doing the stitching and you know blaming that the uh, the the man was mollycoddled by his mother and grew up to be a softie (laughs) (laughs) that that did make me laugh
0: yeah, I like the I like that the term softy kind of says so much and says so little at the same time. And also, softy, I feel like, is a bit of a kind of like pejorative from days gone by. No one
4: calls anyone a softy yeah. these
0: days. <laughs> it's definitely
4: a kind of insult that Alan would use. Yeah,
0: yeah. It, it, and it kind of sounds like a sort of a wartime kind of almost like yeah. insult, yeah, like yeah. you'd have used it kind of years ago.
4: So is it time to meet Eleanor Hartley?
3: Oh, and, and the stunning uh, special effects work that goes along with it. <laughs> Is it
0: because they blown the budget on the Spitfire and they're like, this is all we can <laughs> yeah. afford, or is it?
3: <laughs> Actually, and this has just occurred to me, I mean, obviously, the joke is very much that the effects work is terrible and it did really make me laugh when they did it. But, like, when you think about in this time, Series 1, when you had schoolchild Alan, which was, like, mm, a fully yeah. composite, like, graphic recreation, like I, I like that they kind of run the gamut of what... Uh, potentially the bbc working with pear tree productions are capable of and uh i think in this week it was not very good
4: yeah i i think definitely put a a photo up on the socials of um eleanor's face Old, older younger face superimposed <laughs> yeah. onto her current face and there were kind of t- two shots so there was one main shot where obviously yeah. it's
3: very prominent and then wasn't there like another like slightly wider shot when it was there for like a split second in like, yeah. like the, super, the superimposed face like
4: disappeared didn't it could get rid it of, rid of it in the edit. Nah. <laughs> nah. <laughs> uh, please remember that Eleanor is a wonderful, wonderful woman and then Alan proceeds to talk over her the entire
1: interview
0: <laughs> I did uh, rifle through the internet, that's right, rifle through the internet uh, to see who potentially uh, the character was kind of um, based on in, in real life, and obviously there's lots of um, articles of women participating um, within the war in various different forms, but I feel like potentially the character was based on a Mary Ellis, who was a British ferry pilot and one of the last surviving British women pilots from the Second World War, so not entirely sure if that's um the case or who they based it on but um potentially that is who this is um
3: focused on it's a good find you've done you've done some research nick so we we can't complain guys it's
0: what i do it's it's some it's (laughs) sometimes what it's sometimes what i do sometimes
3: better (laughs) um should we should we talk about roger that aka paul wheeler
0: this very much reminded me of the joke in Scissored Isle where he goes to meet uh, store manager, David Paul, and there's that kind of muddling um, of the names. It's kind of a similar joke that we've Mm -hmm. seen before, but again, executed in a different way. And I thought executed very, very well.
3: Yeah, I I thought it was good. Um, Have you guys done any research into the actor that that played him as well? Um, I thought he looked quite familiar, but Um, I think I was perhaps thinking somebody else. uh, I didn't
0: recognise him at all, to be honest. So if you have researched, I'd love to hear, because I didn't even recognise him, to be honest.
3: Uh, Well, yeah, I, I think I thought it was somebody else and I couldn't even tell you who I thought it was. But I am pleased to report, looking at Wikipedia, he has been in casualty holby city and the bill he's been the holy trinity of uk television um so if if only i had the bell that i could ring um so yeah fair play (laughs) his uh real name and i'm probably gonna mangle the pronunciation is christopher colquan i mean i'd I'd probably pronounce that wrong that's c-o-l-c-u-h-o-u-n so uh great work chris nice
4: yeah (laughs) welcome to the partridge apu
3: yeah um
0: (laughs) Would you need to go on multiple trips to the toilet if you were going to fly a Spitfire?
3: Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think I probably would as well, especially if I was going to loop-de-loop it several times. I think I would definitely need to go to the toilet,
4: which I'm told by experts is completely normal, by the way. Completely normal. Um, I do like the fact that, um, you know, Alan ask, asks what it was like for women like Eleanor to uh, to carry such responsibility in the Second World War effort. Um, I mean, she's right there. He could literally just ask her, um, yeah. but now he has to ask the man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, what, what was it like for the woman? And also the, her face yeah. is just kind fra- of cut on the, the bottom. Framing the framing
0: is well, the she- gag within the gag, isn't it? That she's cut out of the screen completely.
3: Well, that's, well, that's yeah. what I was going to say. And she, she, she she totally sidelined, like kind of like metaphorically and literally in terms of of how this is filmed
4: i thought that was very good yeah and also please the only way for alan to understand what it's like <laughs> is to fly is to fly the spitfire <laughs> what I'm Not I'm not ask eleanor fly the spitfire I mean, that,
3: that's obviously you know that that's the gag you can see coming a mile off for this this whole vt It's like yes this this whole segment exists purely as an exercise for alan to have an excuse to fly fly a plane or be flown in a plane
4: yeah So after the handful of toilet trips, Alan's in the air.
0: He's pretty happy from the off. And to be fair, I can see why. I would personally absolutely love to fly in a Spitfire. Um, I mean, it it looked fairly rickety as it was going up in the air, but I think I'd be pretty happy going up in a Spitfire, to be totally honest.
3: I liked that there's a point when it looked to me like he was going to black out, or I thought he was either (laughs) going to pass out or like throw up on himself or something. But then it kind of, I think, completes the loop. And then he's just like, grinning like an absolute maniac and he's loving it. Uh,
4: in the same way that we did the four faces of Alan for the uh <laughs> OBBC oh, my BBC I think four different faces of Alan in the Spitfire is going to have to go up on the socials yep. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: And he almost he almost kind of defaults back to that almost childlike kind of enthusiasm where at first yeah. he's kind of scared of the loop-to-loop and then he's like, I want to do it again, I want to do it again. Similar to the kind of the, the Joe Beasley and Cheeky Monkey, where he's like, He's behind you. He was literally behind yeah. you. It's that kind of like <laughs> almost like childlike mentality with him kind of enjoying being sort of trepidatious at first and then and then enjoying it and asking to sort of be doing it again, like when a, a father sort of pushes a child on a swing and going,
3: hiya, daddy, higher <laughs> It's exactly that. He he says, Spin me again. Please, I think, um, <laughs> yeah. after after he's finally not gonna black out and he's loving it. Um, I thought there was like initially I was a bit like, okay, like you know, this purely exists. The gag is the woman that knows about this is sidelined. it's is purely for Alan to go in a plane, and that is the gag. But I actually think when you spend a bit more time, there's actually quite a lot going on here because the things when he starts going on about up he can be proud to be British, no left-wing people can mm-hmm. tut at you. Um, I just thought, you know, there's actually a lot of detail going in into the script here, but it's kind of, you, you can definitely miss it, because if you're focusing on the spectacle of Alan Partridge in a Spitfire, some of the nuance can definitely pass you by, I think. Because he's even talking about cultural appropriation because he's wearing a fez, and he's like, I, only because I'd gone <laughs> dressed as Tommy Cooper. Just little details like that I thought were great.
0: Yeah, there's also a bit, um, I'm not sure if you spotted it, because it it was sort of, it reminded me of that moment. I think was it in last week's episode where, with the SAS, where he he falls over slightly at the end a of at, a couple of weeks, where he falls over at yeah. the end of the shot. Yeah. Um, there's a cl- there's a sort of a, a moment here um, where he's talking and he references himself as a journalist. Did anyone pick up on that? Oh yeah. yes,
3: yeah, 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 yeah. And
0: it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. kind of describing himself as a journalist. Well, what I would say is a TV journalist. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, I did it, I did enjoy that. Alan is now kind of seeing himself in in that league where he's now a journalist.
3: And I think that's that's interesting on a few a few levels because obviously we've heard him talking about like Jenny being seen as a journalist or a TV journalist and he talks about that with quite some quite some disdain I think but I was also going to say I think some of the real gems in this time I think exist when you can make out the dialogue underneath the voiceover I think the Gibbons yeah. and Steve are quite good mm-hmm. at literally mm. multi layering like the. The, the actual script so yeah you need to kind of watch at least twice to get the voiceover script and then the dialogue underneath it
0: yeah yeah it's like in the Oast house where he makes the fake 999 call and they start talking mm. over it and he goes i have to inform you at this point this is just a prank <laughs> phone call <laughs>
4: so yeah alan recreates the battle of britain <laughs> so long fritz <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So in general, I thought this VT section was uh, was pretty good. I mean, I, th- I did think it, it, it went on a little bit long. I think there could have been a little bit of uh, uh, bits and bobs that could have been cut. The safety check bit not not that great but i guess it sets up the gag of you know him going to the (laughs) needing to go to the toilet multiple times which is perfectly normal i feel there's a little bit that could have been i thought i thought it was i thought it was solid i thought it was the the
3: the other note i had uh, about the safety check bit when they're talking through the steps he has to do and one of them is to unplug unplug the radio and he says oh i don't want to do that so i think that's great because obviously in his mind he's thinking about radio no radio is broadcast medium i love radio I'm a broadcaster, I don't want to unplug a radio. He's not thinking about, no, it's a communications device that attaches you to the plane.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I do think that, to your point, um, Tom Stab, the the BT was stronger and certainly one of the strongest we've seen, if not the strongest, but just a bit, of, a bit of trimming would have probably elevated it slightly. I do think that once he's in the plane, it goes on a little bit too long, um, but overall, enjoyable.
3: I think that's because he's being spun round again. Like trainers in a washing machine. (laughs) Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role.
0: So coming out of the Spitfire section, I like that Alan is so distracted by how much fun he had making it that he repeats <laughs> Jenny's exact point um, and, and is also ignoring the voice of a woman while talking about the sacrifices made by women, which I thought was uh, <laughs> was very Alan and, and a really nice bit of writing as well. Um, yeah,
3: I, I, I thought that was great. Um, I, I initially thought like maybe that was like a play on his hearing still being blocked, but obviously the earwiddle has come out, so it's not that... Um, and like you say it's the male host ignoring what the female host has just said but it also and it also really reminded me of do you remember in the fast show there was an i think it was a character played by arabella weir where she just be stood there like going can anybody hear me while she suggests something and then all the men repeat it oh yeah Yeah. it's exactly that sort of gag which is really brilliant and but yeah him like saying i had such a good time he says that twice (laughs) as well as repeating jenny's line
0: um, so we're talking about Trolls. I mean, this is a slightly weird bit in that it feels like it would have been a section where it would be natural to link it back to High Noon uh, in From the Oast House, mm. but obviously there, there's no reference made to that at all. So Alan then leaves himself a voice note to make sure that he get to get Lynn to book a cleaner for the shingles, his cottage. Um, I like that because it's called The Shingles, it sort of implies the disease rather yeah. than just the <laughs> pebbles.
3: I, I like this that it's just us getting to see the modern version of Alan's dictaphone as well which has been so infamous across the years it's now a voice note. Um, Makes sense.
0: Paints a bit of colour around Alan as a character and tells you something that you kind of already knew, that he's the sort of person that would buy a second home in Cornwall. Uh, there's been lots mm. of films and news articles lately about, about how many people are doing that and how it's sort of tearing the heart out of the Cornish community. Um, but also, he's very pleased with this house because it's in a cop's in a conservative constituency, which I think is just, you know, <laughs> that's Alan through and through. <laughs> a little bit of paradise. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> but before we get into the, uh, the interview with uh, Jenny's troll, I thought... Alan when he's talking about um that he's going to be there but in a camper van at the end of the garden and I thought that really made me think of obviously I'm Alan Partridge series two he's in the static home and at the end of that series when he's moved into the house he basically ends up arranging everything like all of his possessions into one room in exactly the same layout Mm. as the static home so this is kind of like a nice through line here so he's got this kind of this luxurious second home in Cornwall, but he's staying there in a camper van at the end of the garden. It's like he can't move on (laughs) from staying somewhere that is essentially a static home.
0: Um, Did anyone else think it was a bit odd that he's offered Jenny the use of this cottage? I sort of felt like they don't really have that level of friendship. I, 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 I think that, you know, when you think about things in series one where, you know, he offers to um, lasagna with her once a week, mm. he is desperate or keen, should I say, to have her in, in his life. And I think that not only would he enjoy it from a relationship perspective, but I also think it probably gives him a sort of position of power in some respect if he's able to kind of, you know, offer Jenny something, uh, you know, like like that.
3: I feel like he's trying to do it. In part to kind of be helpful and supportive, but obviously, there's another large part where he's ever hopeful that something might become a romantic liaison. Mm-hmm. Mm.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I guess, and it, it, especially when you think back to like during the drinks tasting with Rosie Witter, when he was sort of imagining her mm. getting a bit yep. tipsy and throwing three sheets to the wind <laughs> and basically becoming someone who he could feasibly have a relationship with.
3: I mean, in essence, he's hedging his bets. He's inviting Tiff, he's inviting Jenny. He's just hoping something's going to work out. He didn't invite Tiff, to be fair. Tiff invited herself. No. Yeah, good, good point, but you feel, he's you still hedging his bets, he's still keeping uh, I, him in the balance. I just hope that John Kawasaki
0: doesn't need it that weekend, but I'm jumping, I'm jumping, jumping ahead. To that. I'm jumping ahead. <laughs> um, I like, I like the, uh, the the bit about this time being a family, Alan's dad, Jenny's mum, yeah. and then Simon, Simon <laughs> chimes in to say, troublesome son, to which Alan yeah. replies, well, troubled son. Oh, uh, so yeah, they've launched a cyber safe campaign, which I thought was was great and very typical of shows like The One Show, where the name of the campaign is already quite dated, uh you know cy- <laughs> cyber safe is the sort of thing you would have heard people pitching as a title you know maybe 10 years ago
3: when they're surfing the internet superhighway exactly <laughs> Something like that yeah <laughs> so the first note i had here when uh, the troll bavit sharma uh is kind of like you get alan's reaction here the way alan is looking at him like as as jenny's introing him is incredible he's properly looking like uh, literally looking down his nose at him i thought that was great
4: well, I thought uh, it was it was it was it was sort of very alpha male, like the way he spreads himself on the sofa, putting mm-hmm, his arms yeah. sort of around Jenny, protecting her. It's a very kind of um, uh, subconscious thing that an alpha male would do, where he's just like, I'm going to spread myself and make myself look as big as possible and sort of like own this person because they've targeted Jenny again. It's kind of like a a link to the fact that Alan is maybe in some way protective of her or wants to help her, but also, you know, wants to be, wants to feel like he's, she, she needs him. Obviously she doesn't in any way, shape or form, but it's just another element of of this kind of world building around Alan kind of wanting Jenny in whatever form he can get her, I guess. Um, hopefully uh,
0: some other listeners will have noticed that this is a further expansion of the overlap between Stathlet's flats yes. and, uh, and Partridge uh, in that uh, Bavit Sharma is played by Nick Mohammed, who is Anthony Stappen, Anthony Stappen Lettings uh, in Staff Let's Flats. Uh, you might also know him as Malcolm in Drifters. And in fact, he's been in loads of stuff. He's got 61 credits on IMDb. So uh, a bit player in loads of really great comedies and say, other shows. Uh,
3: Ted Lasso, probably most recently, is quite the prominent thing he's been in as well. And yeah. he's
4: had, uh, hes he, I mean, he's appeared in loads of things like night of the apollo or whatever it's called the thing at hammersmith apollo and and he has a character character called mr swallow that he's done for years and years and years that kind of pops up in on uh, on stand-up shows and comedy shows etc so yeah he's he i think he had a sky show with um david uh, swimmer Geller? can't think of david swimmer yeah yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so i was
3: gonna say that this bit overall i think for me was probably the weakest section of the episode yeah i thought I thought there might be something a bit cleverer going on with the writers having a pop at trolls and kind of social media criticism. And I thought there might be a bit more of a pointed payoff. And like you said, Adam, I was thinking it might even tie in with High Noon somehow. It's a bit disappointed it didn't really get there. However, what I did like is Alan trying to be like super protective of Jenny and then smashing her in the face with a bunch of flowers and then just like saying things like, Is it symmetrical? Gun to my head. Probably not, but it's mainstream. So he ends up basically trolling her while he sat right next to her. So I thought that bit was quite fun. But I think overall in the episode, this is probably the bit which I thought kind of it, it had it had the
4: least payoff to it for me, I think. I don't, but I did like I did like the switch that occurs towards the end where Alan realises he might actually be able to get something out of this guy and that is a classic car for 20 grand versus <laughs> 26 grand <laughs> yeah yeah. negotiating a discount on live television
0: <laughs> I, I, I guess I like the theme through this it is a bit one note but that Alan basically as Nick said misjudged the whole tone of the segment he thinks that you know you get this person on it's it's a classic red top tabloid naming and shaming it's, it's humiliating and embarrassing him and forcing him to apologise but what you actually get of course is like quite a meek guy who didn't Mm. really mean it's very contrite has come on because he's sorry and so that kind of like gotcha journalism doesn't really work because he you know he's already apologized he's already sorry and and yeah and obviously yeah then the joke is that alan effectively does more damage than uh than Babbitt sharma ever did by basically saying a load of derogatory things about jenny on national tv
3: (laughs) (laughs) a shrinking violet she ain't is it time for simon's very first item
0: Yes, I was quite proud of Simon when he did this as well. I was kind of willing him on to, to do well. I think, uh, this... yeah, it was it was good to see.
4: Yeah, we've kind of seen this in the past, you know, from from series one in, in episode six where Jenny storms off the set and Simon ends up sort of parachuting in. He, he, Julia! He is kind of, he is actually a, a better presenter than you would think and is very competent and can, you know, hold it his nerve on live television, which I think is actually kind of the main thing that annoys Alan the most. Not only is he sort of muscling in on his territory, but he's also actually quite good at it. And that obviously annoys Alan because he doesn't want anyone sort of um, usurping him, especially when he's, you know, getting on a bit and he wants to secure his legacy. He doesn't need a younger person coming in and doing a better job than him.
0: Um, there's a very subtle bit which I'd like to think is intentional and, and a skilled bit of writing that um, when Jenny introduces Simon introducing the item she mentions that he leaves her tickled pink which I thought yes. was a nice nod back to in the first series where Alan's, you know, he says I'd like to tickle your pink tickle you pink by accident to her and it also sort of subtly introduces the idea that Simon is doing the things that Alan wishes he could especially in terms of like Jenny and
4: her nice. reaction yeah, yeah, yeah. that's
3: really good I'm liking that Adam I'm liking that a lot um, I was going to say it's, it's so pointed how much Alan hates the fact that Simon is basically starting to climb the ladder of kind of like success within the show, I guess, because he says things like, it does look odd. Um, and he also says Simon's on holiday at the sofa, but he lives at the digi mm-hmm. <laughs> So it's kind of a very literal, like get back in your box yeah. or get back to the digi Um, and equally like, and I wonder whether this is trying to indicate something of, a- about Jenny in that kind of like ruthlessness that we've talked about before. She is definitely quite patronising about Simon in this. So she's supportive, but then she does also say things like, ah, oh, that was so good, and didn't he do a good job? So it is treating him a bit like a kind of like little kid with a pat on the head. So I think they're both, perhaps they're both a bit wary about Simon becoming like a new presenter and then taking a bit of shine away from them.
0: The Alan complains that, the, that Simon's VT is in black and white. But the film being reenacted, Rear Window was in colour. Now, if you actually look into this, Rear Window was originally filmed in black and white, but was actually restored to colour. So Alan is wrong, and Simon is was right to make it black and white. Uh, so brilliant, yeah. Alan thinks he's outsmarted Simon there, but the truth is that actually Simon's in the right, and Alan's in the wrong.
3: You know what? I I did think. I, I wonder whether there was a gag in there, and then I just forgot to look it up. So good,
0: good job. That's you did why it. there's four of us. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a bit towards the end where you can, I think there's a sort of sense of pride where Simon wants to impress Alan, even though he doesn't get anything from from Alan. It's almost like the sort of affection of a father that he's kind of seeking the approval of. Um, So he kind of says to Alan, this this is a good bit. And you just see Alan literally just walk straight off, which we've seen Mm. a couple of times where he'll invite Simon almost to speak about things that are personal to him. So we've seen it in uh, Mid Morning Matters where he talks about, you know, looking for his, you know, his family because obviously we know that simon is adopted and simon will start to talk about it and alan will just cut him off so it kind of really reminded me of something similar to that where you know simon's proud of a a good bit that's coming in the vt but i know alan just walks off and ignores it so tragically it doesn't look like tiff's going to be able to come to cornwall after all because as alan claims there are some japanese businessmen from japan who are coming that might invest in his production company and i think if you're looking closely as soon as he says they're japanese for the second time in one sentence that's the point where she knows this is bullshit uh, even before he gets to the fact that they're called john kawasaki and john suzuki to which she says john yamaha couldn't make it um yeah, so and, then, and then ends the segment by just saying, Don't dick me about.
3: Yeah. I thought it was really interesting that she knows he's bullshitting her, but she doesn't care. So it's still I am much like um Snap has been for the last few weeks, I'm really buying into the intrigue of where this relationship between the two of them is gonna end up. And we also do get a really lovely, very, very, very long laugh at the end of this section as well.
0: Um, so back to uh Simon, we are just coming out of the back of his first VT. Um he was so close to doing well, but then fluffed it by, name, by giving out the real names and addresses of the people that he met, which, I mean, obviously they had to have him fuck something up, but I actually felt this was a... Uh, the writing didn't quite work. I feel like this is... It's so forced, the way that he reads out their full addresses, that it's not even an error that he would have really made. I found it, I found it quite hard to sort of believe, even in the APU, that he would make this fuck up, because he had to sort of go out of his way to say their addresses out loud, Yeah, I guess it's another one where kind of as Tom was saying earlier about having to, you know, the practicalities of would this happen? You maybe have to give it a bit of creative license for the for the gag to work. Um, But I know what you mean. It, It feels like the payoff isn't strong enough when you consider the sort of amount of creative license you have to give the gag to sort of buy into it. Yeah, it just it just felt like this is one of the points where the writing became a little bit too much tell and not enough show. If you know what I mean, it was just a bit too like they're really putting it in front of you.
3: Yeah, it's just achieving the point to kind of it's a way for Alan to remind Simon that he actually doesn't know how everything works. So it, it's again continuing that like get back in your box. But I, I hadn't really thought about it, but I think you're right. I'm sure there could have been a better way they could have achieved that.
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, mm. By then, you know, by saying that, they do immediately do that bit where Alan refers back to knowing, like, say, knowing how things work, which is something that yeah. Simon said earlier. You know, I've been here for a while and I'm starting to know how things work. And so, yeah, I mean, that bit of writing felt a lot cleaner and, and made more sense.
3: Um, and can, can I just double-check the uh, three core artists to reference when talking about rock and roll? That this should be <laughs> Billy Bragg, Beyonce, and Bruce Springsteen. That is correct, isn't it? it, yeah. it is. Those are like the three main rock and roll artists right
0: i did enjoy as well when we hear um <laughs> beyonce alan gives a massive eye roll and then an immediate thumbs up i'm not sure if anyone cracks that, <laughs> I didn't that. Oh, it's so no. good so yeah Je- uh, yeah Be- jenny says um, yeah billy Bragg, beyonce and at that point the biggest eye roll and then an immediate thumbs up to kind of like oh got to correct that so it just goes in the thumbs up i say that as well worth going back and have a rewatch. it's very Great. good
4: I I also like, uh, just before they move on, Alan goes, uh, Bruce Springsteen, that's another one, four decades singing about guys in overalls. Give it a rest. rest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that was good. That was good.
3: So the the band coming up is called Cayman, and I'm assuming that's, you know, a a not-too-subtle reference to the Cayman Cayman Islands, the notorious tax haven.
0: Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Um, Yes, and uh, the band features uh, Alex Owen, who's one half of... uh, comedy duo the pin tom dart's a big fan of the pin
3: can Uh, i can i just talk about the pin a minute so just for the listeners to understand so for me i think the pin (laughs) is like the best radio sketch comedy in years and years i've been telling the other three guys to listen to it for years and they don't bloody listen to me. It's honestly, it's brilliant. It all centres around puns and wordplay. It's all on BBC Sounds. I don't remember. Just you give it a listen. It's really great. Like these guys haven't bothered. Don't, so don't remember. Yeah. You do, do yourself a favour and go you, and give that a listen. Do, Mar-
0: do do that. You're Mark Kermo talking about the Exorcist. We're Simon Mayo, not giving a shit.
3: <laughs> well, I've enjoyed great comedy, and you're missing out.
4: Um, <laughs> Nick, oh, I re- can I just say, Nick, I really enjoyed that. <laughs> uh, Alex Owens, of, uh, well. <laughs> Alex Owens also the star of funny uh,
3: flappy hands now as well.
0: Alex Owens also the star of Petrichor a web series that featured a lot of people who are also in this, like uh, Lolly Adolphos is in it, um, and Eddie White's in it, I think as well. So again, the Stafflet's Flats Petrichor Partridge crossover is is strong. Um, Partrichor. Um What I quite liked about this this whole, well, I, I liked it and I didn't like it about this whole sketch. Obviously, they're doing the, the thing that you know, again. Mainstream BBC One shows or, or, or similar shows will do, where they talk about bands in very sort of hackney dated terms. Uh, but I thought, even by those standards, if this was like something that was on the One Show, I don't. I, the, these these terms are dated from the writers of Partridges' point of view. Whereas I think there are probably terms that like the Gibbons or Steve might use in real life that themselves are dated. So these terms that they use like stacks of attitude, mad, bad and dangerous to know, right on, <laughs> knockout, etc. <cetera, laughs> they're almost too dated to even be dated, if that makes sense. Like they're like they're like two generations dated. Yeah, I know what you're saying. It's like I,
3: th- I think it's fine, though. I think ultimately yeah. it's like, you know, it, you're totally you're right. Like. When you look at something like the One Show as a comparison point, it is always that thing. It's like they, when they seldom have like a music act on, you know that yeah. the presenters don't really know who they are yeah. or whatever yeah. it might be, and it's just going with whatever they think is like the most. relevant. I, well, get, that, I get the argue... point they're making. I just yeah. think
0: like some of these phrases are genuinely the way that bands were introduced in like the fifties.
3: You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I think, no, I th- I think of... that's deliberate though. I don't think yeah. that's
4: because the conceit of the One Show is that they would have script writers who would write these lines for Jenny and Alan to say to make them relatable to the people who are watching the show at home. And they Mm -hmm. would be people in their between 50s and 70s, probably, I'd imagine. So, you know, their references for what rock music is is that it is dangerous and anti-establishment because the dangerous and anti-establishment rock bands of when they were sort of, you know, coming out of their... Uh, moving into adult uh, coming out of young adulthood into proper adulthood would have been bands like punk bands and you know maybe even like you know um, new romantics which aren't dangerous but they are you know quite outlandish and i don't know anti-establishment i guess but
3: but i think the thing is it's like one i i could picture this is script that alan's written like because it is so kind of like off key and like mm-hmm. not with the times but also i think the joke also works because obviously this band is not mad or bad or dangerous to know <laughs> whatsoever
1: he does they're, have an red trousers. Bunch,
3: they're an absolute bunch of posh sods with plums in their mouths and yes tom all three of the guys in the band have red trousers on which is a classic kind of posh guy stereotype which i thought was a very good little uh, visual gag in what, that
0: cosmo oscar and felix <laughs> <That's the ones. laughs> just, just leaving juno
3: and also i was going to say i what i thought was absolutely brilliant writing here was when alan says watching that vt was the first time i've ever heard or seen you that's so <laughs> on the money like one for alan as the character that we know doesn't prep, doesn't research his guests, but also in how shows like this work, the presenters don't know who's, like, all the details of the people that are coming on, particularly when it comes to music. Like, you know, look at Sunday Brunch and the Dead Eyes of Tim Lovejoy. <laughs> he doesn't know what, what musician's coming on. He hasn't listened to the music. He's just got an auto cue with some questions on it. That, that's how this world works, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Um, wow. I, I feel, like you're, feel like you're tearing down my Sunday Brunch experience. <laughs> Um, I loved uh, the bit of hypocrisy when Cosmo says that you know they're, they're doing what they're doing rather than dropping our H's and T's in an effort to fit in like it's like alright <laughs> oh, you will you will drop your T's for D's yeah.
3: did anybody have any any kind of notes to share about the song The Cotswold Commuter uh,
0: no. yeah only that it seems to be kind of like an inverse common people by Pulp but, <laughs> but not as yeah. good and that it effectively is just a list of posh things isn't it really it's not it's not <laughs> yeah. particularly credible lyrically as a song
3: no but i I think i think for the gag it worked because that's kind of the point isn't it like these are just like a bunch a bunch of posh kind of kids that formed an indie band that is somehow kind of inexplicably becomes successful and annoyed lots of people in the process um and i did think when you kind of then get into like the second part of this where the the streakers and the protesters appear and i don't know about you guys but that genuinely caught me off guard when it happened
4: yeah, the intro, when this kicks off, it was obviously quite reminiscent of Shona McGough from Knowing yeah. Me, Knowing mm. You. Uh, is it the first episode? No, maybe... Is it the first episode? I think it might be the first episode. Um, it, Rock and roll, um, so we'll have a pair. Exactly. It's quite reminiscent of that, but then it goes in a slightly different direction. So I, I'm I'm glad that it wasn't just a straight-up knockoff of, 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 of that, basically.
3: Yeah, and I, and I thought, particularly the bit when they go and it cuts to black and they cut the sound um you know that really reminded me of the first time watching like when he shot forbes mcallister there's suddenly that kind of bit of realism of kind of like oh what would happen in this scenario so i actually i actually really liked this whole section because it just reminded me like you know it's almost a bit of a bill grundy sex pistols moment like these kind of like crazy tv things that happen but that kind of chaos linking so well to what we've seen from the knowing me knowing you world whether it's shona mcgough whether it's forbes mcallister so it it really felt like it was another one of those moments
4: in the APU, so I, I liked it. Less a question to the group and more just a question to Tom, as someone who uh, who works in TV and has been around these sorts of scenarios. If this was to happen in real life. Would they stay on air, or would they cut to like one of those holding card things, or like their technical difficulties sort oh, of thing? yeah,
3: I think I think they just cut. I don't think they'd risk like no. what happens here because it's so unpredictable. They
4: certainly wouldn't allow someone to say,
0: "Please stop running." I will not allow you to portray this as some kind of Benny Hill tittle tattle. It just takes <laughs> one person to speed up the footage and send it to yakety sacks. <laughs> I
3: absolutely love that. Yep. That really, really makes. As me he laugh. runs fast as well. Hang on a minute. Can we little challenge to the listeners here? Can somebody get that footage of Alan running around the studio? Speed it up and add it to Sax? <laughs> Please
0: do. Brilliant. There's quite a lot of BBC bashing in this very quick segment, and I know we've we've talked a little bit about how risque it is or isn't for the writers to include bashes to the BBC. But in the space of a few minutes, Alan says there are things the BBC will no longer allow: smoking in soap operas, criticism of the government, and of course, topless women who don't live in a rainforest, which I thought was really good, quite pointed, and they obviously sort of slipped that in a in a joke sandwich they put their their real point in the middle there, which I thought was really good. Um, That's pretty
3: good. I feel like we should watch out for that more. The Gibbons joke sandwich. Yeah. That's (laughs) a good concept.
0: It's a good concept. Um, and yeah, Alan's obviously trying to balance sort of post me Too gender politics with shutting down the protest previously. He would have just like pushed them off stage. Um, they also have someone shouting out fuck the system, fuck the BBC in the middle mm. of, in, you know, back to the real world here, in the middle of a programme going out about 9.45pm on BBC One on a Friday night, which I thought was, I, maybe that's the first time that's ever
3: happened. It's good to hear, but, and like like we have talked about this a bit over the, over the weeks, like I'm really impressed that the Gibbons have gone for some of these kind of jokes that poke fun at the BBC and kind of the establishment around it. It's like, you know, I'm impressed that the Gibbons and, and Steve have written these jokes and then the bbc have gone yes we're gonna let you keep these in the scripts i think fair play
0: um just before we come on to the subtitles i just want to say there's obviously a lot of, of good jokes and fun ideas novel ideas with subtitles here but to give him his due and we don't do it often enough uh producer jed is one of the people behind a short horror film called dawn of the death which i would say if you've got 20 minutes go and watch it i think it's on vimeo jed can insert himself plugging his film here we can uh, but...
4: we can share a link as well
0: yeah, but there there are some genuinely incredible inventive ideas around subtitles um, in, in that short film, and this really mm. made me think of the fact that producer Jed has actually done this, A, earlier, and B, better.
3: Can I? Can I say? I'll tell you what. We're going to go one better, Jed. We'll, we'll put a link to it in the show notes as well. There we go. So that that will be there forevermore. Yeah. So we're coming. We, Finding we the payback after five years of editing our crap.
4: <laughs> we are coming towards the end of this episode. So listeners, when you finish listening to this episode, head straight to the show notes. Go so straight to the description, and you'll see the link in there. Do yourself a favor. Click on that link. Uh, it's also worth saying. I mean,
0: I, I, I feel like people should know that uh, that Jed not only produces Monkey Tennis, which is obviously his finest and best work, but he he's also the mastermind behind Host, the uh, award-winning horror movie that's been all over the uh, all over the interwebs and all over everything the last the last few years. So credit where it's due. Uh, he's basically a minor celebrity. Well, maybe I think we... he's going to absolutely yeah.
3: fall off his chair when it he is, hears this. He?
0: Well, I don't think we can include a link to Host because it's on a subscription platform, but maybe we can post a link to the trailer in the show notes so people can watch that and then go and find it if they would like to see more. But I would highly, highly recommend Host. He didn't even pay us to say that. (laughs) Ter- terry on camera too is lapping up the nudity they're trying to get everybody to pull away from the protesters but they can't they cannot get terry to stop filming
3: i absolutely love that i think there were two bits so after we've had the subtitles and they're kind of like back in full vision full audio the, the camera to terry terry sort it out mates so when it, and when he says do you want to give it a try and play beat the redactor those two lines really really made me laugh
0: um, I also love the bit where he briefly entertains getting a clip mic onto the protester but has to go for a boom because she hasn't got any clothes to clip it onto uh, there's also a point where um, I think that there's a bit of a monologue where where the, words, the, the phrase titillate lonely middle aged men uh, comes on mm-hmm. um, and the camera points directly to Alan during yeah. that bit which I love really that weird. bit
3: well, but I think the way that kind of pans out is you end up like he's kind of like eyeballing the camera. So it's, you know, it's, yeah, the implication is very clear what they're, what they're doing there.
0: I also think um, the, bit, the bit where he's inviting the protester to beat the redactor by basically shuffling from side to side <laughs> would be ridiculous. But the serious, like the intent and the seriousness on her face really sells it. And I feel like I feel like they might not have got away with something quite so silly, but she looks like she's she 's genuinely trying to like beat the system by basically getting out of <laughs> way of terror, the redactors
3: i mean you' like you 're so right like you know there is so this end section is is weird is weird because it is a return to kind of silliness and a slightly more slapstick place that we 're not often in 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 the world of Alan, but yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, wor- it works for me, but I could equally see a lot of people not liking it. And I would also understand that. Um, because I think actually, what works is quite a nice counterpoint to the kind of silliness and the, and the slapstick nature here. Is It's then all grounded in a conversation, a, a discussion around neoliberalism and global capitalism, which then becomes fun because... All he can really end up saying is the world's effed up big styly. He describes the protesters as having fizz and vim, which, again, it's just like, it's trying to, he can't make reference points that actually sit where they need to. So like like you were saying, like when they're talking about introing the band and stuff, it's like, he just, he can't ground himself in like a, the world of 2021. Like, who describes people as having fizz and vim? Um, and I'd also just love the fact that, in essence, Alan's totally floundering in this situation, whereas Jenny is able to engage and kind of like direct the debate and actually kind of like rein it all in a bit.
0: Yeah, I think there's, again, this is a sort of maybe a, a smart kind of piece of writing on the Gibbons... Um part whereby it's also a bit of a subtle nod to where we are in the culture war of 2021 where you know it's extremes on both sides whether it's you know the protesters or, or cayman so i also think there's a little bit of a subtle nod and a wink to just the world that we're living in 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 2021 that's well observed uh, i like that in his own strange way alan does uh, kind of Bring everybody around a central point which is that alan doesn't know what he's talking about like <laughs> yes uh, and, and crucially i noted that this ha- this was filmed after the gal gado kristin wig you know multi-celebrity cover of imagined that generally yeah. everyone agreed was a terrible idea by te- by ter- by celebrities that are now all seem terrible
3: yeah so i'd imagine that's probably quite a deliberate reference point there because yeah i think yeah, everyone was yeah. united in that being rubbish and also the fact th- the fact that Al the fact that Alan would think that that's a credible thing to try and do with like younger people, I think, also ties in well with the character.
0: Um, and so, yeah, it's time out, punk bitch. Calm down, pussy riot. When I get angry, I walk the dog. Uh, and then, yeah, the, the Imagine by John Lennon idea. Um, and then after this bit, it, it turns out that he's going to get Tiff down to Cornwall after all. But this very end part felt a little bit odd to me. Firstly, how did they clear the floor of all the protesters so fast? It's like literally 10 seconds later and he's the only one on set. And also, isn't this just set up for some kind of, you know, for the, for the TIFF storyline to continue without really any gags? It just feels like a bit of a deflated moment after the kind of the frenzy that's just happened in the episode.
3: I think that's a fair point. Yeah, it's not, there's not necessarily... Well, I think the gag in it is, of course, that she's gonna have to get herself a non-flexible uh off peak ticket to cornwall Mm -hmm. he's not even gonna drive her so there is an inherent gag in there but yeah i think the way this ended i'm just really keen to see if and how this storyline picks up next week to kind of see where this is leading us because we've only got one episode left so hopefully this is coming to some kind of fruition
0: uh yes we shall have to tune in next week to see uh partridge universe bring its latest installment to a gripping conclusion
3: Okay, so that's kind of uh, the end of the episode. So uh, quick summary, because it's quite a long episode for us already, I think. Uh, Tom, what did you make of it overall?
4: I thought this episode was all right. I would say it's probably... I can't remember too many proper times I laughed out loud. Like, It didn't get too many big laughs from me. Um, Like I mentioned earlier, I think it kind of moved the narrative on a bit. Um, But yeah, in general, I thought it was okay.
0: Uh, I would personally say for me, this is probably the weakest so far. I mean, I'll always enjoy it, and, you know, it was, a, it was a fun episode. It did have some enjoyable moments in it, but overall, it's probably my least favourite so far. Um, I really enjoyed the sort of marriage of pushing the narrative on whilst also keeping things funny. I did think it fell apart a little bit in the third act in that the, um, the protest was too close to Shona McGough or No Me, Knowing You for me, um, and I didn't think that the kind of musical element was particularly great.
3: See, for me, I'm quite inter- it's interesting that everyone's opinion is quite quite different on this. For me, this would probably be in the top three episodes of what we've had so far. Um I really liked because, you know, we got to see Alan having a lovely time in a Spitfire, but I really liked the chaos of the streakers because it reminded me of Naomi knowing, knowing you. Uh the interactions with Lynn were great. Uh I think the evolving the relationships between Alan, Jenny, and Tiff, I'm really keen to see where that goes. Also to see if there is a payoff with the Princess Anne interview. Um I mean, that said, I think some bits didn't go anywhere. Like, I think the troll interview was a bit of a letdown. But on the whole, I really enjoyed this one.
0: Uh, so that's what we thought, we'd love to hear from you with one episode left in the series. Um, what did you think of this week's episode? What do you think of the series as a whole, and crucially, what's going to happen in the finale? Uh, drop us an email at thepartridgepod at gmail.com, we're on facebook.com slash thepartridgepod, twitter at thepartridgepod, Instagram at monkey tennispod. The monkey tennis hotline is awaiting your voice notes on 07923 600 017 If you've enjoyed our dissection and celebration of this time series two, you can shout us the price of a cup of coffee or an equivalent donation if you want to get one for all of us that's 15 english pounds uh, ko-fi.com slash monkey tennis thank you so much to all of the generous listeners that have uh, put their hands in their pockets so far we really appreciate it and it helps us bring you more monkey tennis in the future so thanks for that and also thanks
2: very much for listening from all of us at monkey tennis the alan partridge fan podcast thanks and goodbye it's that time what time high time to say if you've got time to give this time your time then it's time to let this time spend time making your time a good time on this time Monkey tennis, please, please, cook your eggs. Be safe, be egg safe. Monkey tennis, can well, I have a glass of water, please? It falls to me to say he has gone. Monkey tennis, I said I'd find out more. I haven't done that. Pay hey, for dinner, yeah? Monkey tennis, I said, who the hell is that? That's merely a shaved boy in a wig. Monkey tennis, there is broad agreement that John was good. Tommy, join me at the lady. The show that promises to be all things. To all men. Women. And everything in between. Monkey tennis? There's a subtle cock up there.
1: Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week.